We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Fucking thing sucks. All right, so this is the live show. And we've got myself, Mike, he, him, and turn off this podcast. We got Nick, he, him, and Levi, he, him, from the Intervention Podcast. And we've got Bill Killionaires, he, him, just a good friend of ours from the Turn Left This Podcast Discord server. How's everybody doing? Good, buddy. How are you? Not bad at all. Couldn't be Can't better. complain. Yeah, it's funny, Bill. I mean, you, you have a lot to complain about. I mean, I was complaining for you before <laughs> we got started, but I appreciate you not complaining. That's fine. Strong of you. But uh, <laughs> we do have a lot to talk about this week. So I put some topics in the chat, and we can start uh, right in order. So uh, the first on the docket is cluster bombs to Ukraine. Uh, Nick, did you have anything to say about that? Because I know that that is uh, something that you brought up to start with. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just another one of these things where just highlights that in the rules-based order, quote-unquote, it's the U.S.'s rules and doesn't matter. Only we just have to, we can make them and we abide, and everybody else has to abide by them, right? And like that article I sent by, it's like from the BBC, right? Which is obviously a uk imperialist mouthpiece and even like the uk is worried about this the u.s sending cluster bombs because i think the thing about cluster bombs is it they can cause a lot of civilian damage like when they release a lot of the bombs don't actually explode they can stay there for years and just kind of spontaneously explode like later on and funnily funnily enough i think ward sent this in um, there was some talk last year, and I don't even know if this was ever substantiated. It probably wasn't. It was probably just some rumor, but that Russia was going to be using cluster bombs in Ukraine. Again, this is in 2022. And Jen Psaki, who was the White House press secretary at the time, is calling it like a war crime, which it is in accords that you know the U.S. is ostensibly like party to, right? But now that that counteroffensive has failed massively, right? The Ukrainian and the the coup that the libs are rooting on there. Yeah, we could also talk about that tonight too. Failed. So now we're, you know, we're breaking out the big guns and, you know, talking about sending cluster bombs there. So again, it's just the US, we can do whatever the fuck we want with no repercussions, right? And like the UK will ultimately like shut the fuck up and fall in line. They'll have their meek little protest, but there's nothing that they can actually do about it. This is also at the same time that I saw reports that the US is sending some kind of um, mechanism that plants minefields in Taiwan. And those are another thing that notoriously sticks around for decades after a conflict happens, and they maim and murder civilians. Um, and who's ever held accountable for that? I mean, that, that's, that's like literally terrorist-level shit. Like, imagine you have a community, there was a war there, you're trying to forget it, and now, like, all the time, little kids are just, like, playing soccer and get blown up. It's like, that's horrific. And the U.S. is doing that simultaneously in every proxy war it's trying to start against all of its enemies. Um, the irony there being, like, I, know, I mean, this is changing the subject entirely to China, but it's like the reality is that the U.S. is even ostensibly just on its face trying to protect what trade routes and stuff with China, like from China. Like it's just, all of it is just so insane. Like, yeah, but I think the point is that they'll do the same thing to Taiwan, right? Because they the language they use about Taiwan and Ukraine about protecting, you know, sovereignty and democracy and stuff like that. It's all the same. But we can see that it ultimately the people there mean absolutely nothing. So they'll destroy and Taiwan's a tiny little place with, you know, high density on the coast. It's like an island about the size of New Jersey, but the middle of the island is all mountains and shit. So like the coastline is very densely populated, obviously like Taipei and shit like that. So you've got like these high density, you know, population centers and everything. And if something like this were to happen, I mean, it would just be, it's obviously catastrophic in Ukraine. It would be just as catastrophic there. And, we wouldn't give a fuck about it. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, that's about all I could say about the cluster bombs, too. It's like, par for the course, the U.S. will continue to send more arms. And, of course, just, like, hypocritically send things that will decry Russia for doing or China for doing as war crimes. But It's just, uh, like, the only thing I guess I'll say about it is that this has been just, like, an ongoing incremental escalation by the U.S. And, you know... If you continue to escalate with another nuclear power without any negotiations, without any stopping of the escalation, eventually you're going to hit a point where there's nothing left to escalate to but tactical nukes or something like that, right? So that's like the, that's been the danger of this all along, of just this continued incremental escalation bit by bit by bit. It's also another example of the fact that whenever the United States makes some kind of accusation against its enemies, uh, 
it's always a confession as well because the just just like with this cluster bomb thing like you said they were accusing russia of planning to use cluster bombs last year and now all of a sudden we're deploying cluster bombs to ukraine um it's the same thing that happened with uh chemical weapons in syria um unprovoked attacks by iraq um whatever the hell excuses they used in libya um I mean, anytime the United States or the West criticizes some kind of criminal act or some kind of like foreign policy faux pas, it's it's because either we're engaged in it or planning to engage in it. Um, and that's that's been true, I <laughs> guess, like almost every time. Uh, and this this cluster bomb thing is just another example of it. It's it's quite shocking, actually, to see how cavalier the united states is being about um ukrainian lives the willingness to deploy munitions that are as widely reviled by the international community as cluster bombs like well known to be uh objects of you know criminal use like they're they're a war crime it's a war crime to use cluster munitions and the the excuse being made of course is that the united states and ukraine aren't signatories to the war crime conventions that list cluster bombs as war crime munitions jesus christ which is an awfully convenient excuse you know it obviously doesn't make it like you know the 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 foreign policy blob will go go to that excuse to point out that it's technically not illegal for these two countries to use (laughs) these weapons and it's like you know that that's fine but little kids are still going to get their feet blown off. Like It's a war crime like, for everybody but us, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a few paragraphs in this article that Nick sent over that are worth reading. It says, Canada also said it was against the use of the cluster bombs and remained fully compliant with the Convention on Cluster Munitions. Quote, We take seriously our obligation under the Convention to encourage its universal adoption. End quote. It said in a statement, The U.S., Ukraine, and Russia have not signed up to the Convention, while both Moscow and Kiev have used cluster bombs during the war. Meanwhile, Germany, a signatory of the treaty, said that it would not provide such weapons to Ukraine. It understood the American position. Quote, We're certain that our U.S. friends didn't take the decision about supplying such ammunitions lightly. End quote. German spokesman Stefan Heibenstraut told reporters in Berlin, Ukraine's defense minister has given assurance the cluster bombs would only be used to break through the enemy defense lines and not in urban areas. So there you have it, guys. It's fine. You're yeah. just going to use them in defensive positions, not in urban areas. So the kids will only blow up in farms randomly, not in city streets. I mean, it sounds like they're setting the table for, you mentioned it earlier, Nick, like tactical nukes. It's like anything could just be on the table if you just frame it the right way. And I saw recently there was a Caitlin Johnstone tweet I assume there's probably going to be an upcoming article from her as well, but about the that they're already intimating that there's going to be some kind of incident with this dam in Russia or Ukraine and like or what is it power plant? Sorry, and yeah, they're saying that it's going to cause plant. like a nuclear power, it, like a, a nuclear explosion of some kind. And so a lot of people are thinking, well, that kind of sounds like you're setting the table for using some kind of nuclear uh, device, to like a, a tactical nuke, and they're just going to. Uh, it just sounds like they're setting the stage for some kind of propaganda event, and. It's just not. It's just not looking good. Like it's just not a good sign to be using nuclear devices again. Well, I had seen that um, Ukraine had accused Russian forces of like mining or planting explosives at the power plant, and it had already come out that that was just bullshit. So I mean, that's yeah. The the um the way this war has been prosecuted by the West has been one attempted psyop after the other like every every bit of information that comes out of the war seems tailored to inflame passions against russia um and like you said basically set the table for escalation by the united states and ukrainian forces it's been it's been alarming watching the progressive whitewashing of the nazi affiliations of the militias in ukraine and i think also, this cluster munitions move, it you know, taken in the context of what else we know about what's been going on with the war, which is that the Ukrainian uh, counteroffensive was a total flop. 
The Wagner coup was a total flop. <laughs> Ukraine has been out of ammunition, out of mun- out of uh, munitions and materiel since two months into the war. Well, just real and, quick on that, because that's something that they're saying as, as justification for why they're sending the cluster bombs. Because, well, that's, like, yeah, that's exactly what I was to, getting There's nothing to. left to... Yeah, sorry. We're already, out, we're already out of conventional legal ammunition to give to Ukraine. And instead of deciding that that's reason enough to start negotiating, we just resort to illegal weapons that are well known to be deadly many, many decades after a war has ended. It just, it, it just, the United States position is just so morally bankrupt that it, I don't know, it's, it's vile. It's really sickening to watch. They'll justify anything just to, to continue put a- this war. Just to put a sort of larger point to all of this, I mean, these cluster bombs aren't appearing out of nowhere, right? The United States has had these for many years, has used them in other places, and we're just now talking about it because it's in Ukraine. And to make a sort of point about the fact that war is hell, and this is what total war looks like in the modern era when we're actually paying attention, how many times have cluster bombs been used over the last decade and we hadn't? been paying attention because it's not ukraine it's not something that cnn cares to report on it's not something that bbc is even going to run an article on because it's not a question this is like an argument that i'll hear with people where they'll say you know it's such a shame that russia is indiscriminately or it's such a shame that you know the forces against ukraine are indiscriminately killing people you know the united states at least is doing their part to do it targeted or to do it well it's like well that's not what war ever looks like do you remember anything from history class about World War II? Like, I, I don't know if you know this, but Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they didn't tell all the civilians to leave first before they incinerated the whole city. This is war. It's terrible. And instead of using that as an example to call for diplomacy, they're using it as an example to call for more weapons, for more war. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, they're well, only bringing it up because it's the, uh, you know, unfortunately, the blonde hair, blue-eyed farmer children that are going to get blown up in this case. But, you know, to hell with all the Iraqi and children from Afghanistan that got fucked by the same shit, right? I mean, how many times have AFRICOM used these as part of their, you know, democratizing Africa? How many times has this, I've, yeah, like you said, been used in the Middle East? It's just places that we don't care to see. Well, I'm going to try to move us on to the next topic if I can, because I thought that would be a quick one as well. I mean, it was, like... We spent like 15 minutes on it. By the way, welcome Bryant, he, him from the Cars and Comrades podcast. How you doing, man? Going. I, uh, I'm just on my phone at home, uh, going around cooking, cleaning stuff. Oh, so, cool. uh, let if me know if I'm making up... too much noise or you can yeah, just, just put yourself on push to talk if you wouldn't mind. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Appreciate it. But, um, so I guess speaking of escalations and then also familiar patterns that we saw coming, you want to move on and talk about the student loan stuff and Supreme Court decisions? Because, uh, yeah, I mean, who thought that the, conservative supreme court was going to rule any differently like did you think they were not going to shoot down student loan forgiveness did you think they were not going to like i don't know what did they so they did affirmative action shot that down and then what was it the gay website thing again which, which was, was like, like not fake. even based on a real yeah. case like yeah yeah and it's funny because like there's so much and they do this shit and again so i can't remember who else made this point but it was like oh yeah i think it was uh the latest red menace episode and allison she was talking about like kind of the supreme court's cadence now where they'll like feed a couple cases that, you know, at least give the libs some reason to still believe in the legitimacy of the court. And then they absolutely like decimate the shit that matters. Not that some of the stuff didn't matter, because I know there was some stuff on like um, indigenous population rights and things like that. And Neil Gorsuch is amazingly weird on that, but I mean, <laughs> in a good way. But like, um, yeah, they, they'll feed this kind of shit out before and then they'll just friggin take a case like that with like the fake gay account um that mm-hmm. you know go, went to that website or whatever the details were which really should have no standing in any legitimate you know sense of the word and it doesn't matter because it's not an apolitical institution and it never has been this idea that levi and i have talked about this in our uh, new deal podcast and it's just it's never been apolitical and they're just you know nakedly showing that this is part of a project, right? But they'll still give a little bit for the libs to believe that if you had just not voted for Jill Stein in 2016, that this never would have fucking happened. I mean, I don't think they're even maintaining the illusion that it's not a political institution at this point. They're just kind of playing political football with it like they do with everything else. But I think they're trying to give liberals enough 
hope that maybe Biden will pack the court in the second term or the Dems will do something to play hardball the way the Republicans obviously have been. But they've shown in like the last decade alone that they're not going to do that. Like they will let RBG stay on even when it's a bad idea. They will not replace judges even when they could force them through because they'll let who was it? I don't know. It wasn't New Kingridge. Was it um, who's the turtley guy from Kentucky? Scott McConnell. Yeah. Was it him who was like? really standing on principle about not nominating a judge nominating a judge when obama was about to leave office and then of course like as hypocritical as can be immediately did the opposite when it was like trump's turn to nominate someone and then all the dems were just left holding their dicks in their hand going but you said the opposite thing when it was our guy it's like yeah no shit you morons like learn to play the game like and also like you know like we know the republicans are obviously just monsters and i think that's why we focus on how shitty the the democrats are because they still ostensibly take up the space of like you know progressive causes right like the political space that should be filled by actual virtue hoarding right you know so like they take up that space politically that we should have and they do nothing with it right but um the with the student loan shit it's like there were people like legal experts saying from the beginning that if you use this heroes act that Biden did to kind of get this through, that this is this could present a challenge. Somebody ha- will have standing to take this and challenge it, the states, right? And they fucking did, but they knew it would be the case. And there was a better way to do it going through the Department of Education because the Secretary of Education, I think, is actually empowered to you know, make a move like forgiving student debt. And he could have done that from the beginning, but now they have something to campaign on. That's right. Yeah, just to talk about the politics around all of this. Um, so finding an article about this for 2016 to 2017, you guys ever heard of uh, 72%? Does that number mean anything to anybody? That is the percentage of cases that were decided by 7 to 2 or better, with, uh, what is it, 57% of them being decided by 9 to nothing. So these so-called monsters on the Supreme Court agree with each other about 72% of the time. That's not to discount the 28% that is truly heinous. But the fact is, this institution is not interested in furthering democracy. It's an anti-democratic institution. They agree with each other. When they don't agree with each other, you still hear about them going out to operas together, going out to lunch, being best friends, how they all agree that the Supreme Court should not be fundamentally changed. I mean, it's, it's a political game for us to think that the Supreme Court is anything other than an anti-democratic institution. We cannot and should never rely on it to be anything else. Yeah, I mean, my conclusion, as always, is that people should just be more angry at the Dems, that they are very obviously not willing to play the same game with the same ferocity that the Republicans are. But not only, you know, take that anger and just, like, direct it to some kind of catharsis, like, actually internalize that and then wonder what is the interest at hand that you're not understanding. And it just always comes down to class. And if you can't figure out class consciousness at some point, I don't, I, it's just like, that, that has to be the lesson at the, at the core of all of these. By the way, welcome Brandon Heehan from the Cars of Comrades podcast as well. Glad you guys are joining I, us tonight. I just realized that instead of our mascot being Uncle Sam, it should be anti-democratic. <laughs> <laughs> Took me a second. <laughs> uh, I feel good about being the first just, thing I said coming up to the show. <laughs> no, to, uh, so me and my wife, we don't have kids or anything like that, but we were talking about potential children names, right? And then somehow this led us down to the path then you're going to see how this ties into what Brandon said, right? So we're just going down the path of like, oh, maybe this, maybe that. And they're like, what if we have twins? And then we were like going, I was like, well, I don't want to do anything like these weirdos do, like Caitlin and Rifle and all that kind of like weird shit. And then I just made the joke. I was like, what if we had twins and we named them Freedom and Liberty? (laughs) 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 That'd be the most American thing to do. You would never get another ticket in your town. All the cops would love you. Well, we won't fucking nah. do that. I was just joking. But <laughs> I mean, do we have anything else on the uh, Supreme Court? Or do we want to move on to RFK? I will. I would just real quick. Um, there's a podcast called Five to Four that's quite good on um, the Supreme Court cases. And one of the things that I've internalized from listening to their episodes about the Supreme Court is. When John Roberts seems to side with the liberals and give the Democrats something to that sort of feels like a victory, it very seldom, when you dig into the decision, it very seldom is. It's almost always a nominal victory couched in language that allows for an eventual, like, 
even worse decision down the line. Um, I wish I could think of an example, but it's I'm not a law guy, and it's hard to remember this stuff. But I just yeah, every time I find a law, I break it. Every, <laughs> Hell yeah! Every time you, um, if you're still one of those people who follows the Supreme Court and thinks that we're ever handed a victory by that institution, it's worthwhile to dig into the actual uh, opinions because oftentimes what the media reports as the like Supreme Court decides X, um, it's always way more complicated than that. I mean, these justices write 10, 20, 40 page opinions and every word of the holding opinion in a Supreme Court case is legally binding in the sense that it's to be used and interpreted towards like the the um, further interpretations of the law. Um, so it's never just as simple as Supreme Court strikes down student loan debt, you know, or yeah, upholds student loan debt or whatever. It's 40 pages of legal opinion that if you're if you examine it, you'll find that it's 40 pages of legal opinion that not only enforces the continued repayment of these debts, but also, you know, uh, obligates, like, future repayment of debt, obligates, uh, yeah, you know, there's just, there's always way more to these decisions than the whatever the media, whatever the headline is, and even when it seems like John Roberts is tossing the liberals a win, digging into that opinion, you're gonna find that he's it's he's he's a pretty smart guy he's pretty nuanced thinker and he's basically laying a trap for himself to spring in down the line and say actually you know i may have given you guys gay marriage for example but he gave us gay marriage by the 14th amendment or something or by right to privacy which is tenuous as opposed to the fourth 14th amendment which is pretty solidly like all citizens are afforded equal rights um those kinds of things. He has a a way of conceding small victories to liberals that sets up future conservative, bigger conservative wins down the line that allow them to strike it down, say there's actually precedent for this in our own opinions. Yeah, so I don't don't ever give John Roberts too much credit. When he sides with the liberals, it's a trap. Oh, don't worry, I wasn't. <laughs> I know you weren't. I'm just for for any anybody out there. Any still. libs that wandered in? <laughs> yeah, any libs that wandered in. <laughs> Nick, Nick, let me go with you because you had something, and then Brandon. No, no, that. no. Go go with the. Uh, oh, I was Brandon. just gonna. I can't. I can't remember it well enough to see if it, to remember if it was mocking or if it was actually like a liberal take. But did anyone see where somebody was posting how like in the uh, the anti union legislation that uh, the the Supreme Court. Uh, like put out um not legislation you know uh ruling, ruling. or whatever yeah. um that they were like let's not forget that the one person who didn't vote for this was the one appointed by biden and so that was the victory in in this and did anyone see that Mm-mm. wow yeah. yeah that was uh that was our podcast i think that made that statement oh was it that, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't i can't keep track of the media that i consume <laughs> Nor should you. I, I, almost, I, mean, I feel almost certain I read it somewhere, though. Levi definitely said that jokingly, but <laughs> yeah, if somebody said that unironically, that's yeah. bad. Yeah, we just need uh, Joe Biden to appoint eight more of them. <laughs> These, yeah. uh, maybe I heard it. Then, we'll, then we'll get be getting started. <laughs> yeah, just to to build off of uh, Bill's statement earlier. I mean, this isn't a new concept either. This is how the Supreme Court works. Um, anybody familiar with the Schenck versus United States from 1919? Um, it's where the, the phrase uh, obviously we're fire. all familiar with that. Yes, mm-hmm. it's where the phrase shouting you shouting fire in a crowded theater. Has anybody heard that? Yeah it's, yeah, it's from an opinion on that case. And when you learn about this in school, you learn about it as the opinion which protects the freedom of speech. Uh, when in fact, if you read it, it actually doesn't. Uh, it actually limits freedom of speech by saying you cannot shout fire in a crowded theater. That's a limitation on freedom of speech. And that was what they used as a reason to keep Eugene Debs in jail for arguing that we shouldn't be involved in World War I. That Eugene Debs was screaming fire in a crowded theater by arguing that the United States was imperialist and should not be in a war. So didn't remember he also, that. Oh, didn't he also write that speech specifically so that it wouldn't be covered under like the ruling that they had just made and then was also prepared to go to jail because they knew they were, he would do they were going to fuck him over anyway? Yes, because he was a principled candidate for president 
How about that for a transition to talking about RFK? <laughs> <laughs> well That's done. Pretty good. <laughs> I actually, you know, it's funny. I remembered one last take I had on the uh, student loan thing before we move on to RFK. And someone had DM'd me really distraught. They were like so pissed off at this whole thing. And I had just heard, uh, I can't remember if it was Rev Left. Probably the same episode you were talking Rhett's about been, earlier, Nick. Rhett's been fired up about it, so it yeah. probably was. It was them, because they were saying that it's most likely the case that Biden's going to do that other, uh, better way of forgiving student debt, and he's probably going to do it right before the election because it'll be a convenient political move. I can't say I'll be surprised. I still won't vote for him, because the motherfucker could have done it with a stroke of a pen at any point. Would have been a great big win to start off with. Like, just come out strong right out of the gate. Like, first day in office, like, do that. Uh, let the kids out of the cages while you're at it, because you fucking promised to. Um, he's not going to do that either. So I don't know. I again, he could write off student loans. I'll be very happy for all of my friends and family who have them. Uh, it's not going to move not me to the happen. polls. Like I just, I, I don't really see it happening. But I would be very, yeah, it would be. He objectively won't do it. Good, but he won't do it. He won't do it because he he'll need. They'll need to vote. He'll need to campaign on it. You know, if you give them the carrot, won't you won't have a carrot to dangle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's also think about how little we're actually asking for here. We're asking him to forgive student debt on something that's supposed to be free to begin with. Mm-hmm. So we're not even asking him for you. I mean, I, we are asking him, but we're not even expecting him to provide universal free education. We're still expecting debt to accrue for people that after this forgiveness, like the horizons on this are so limited, yet we're already so disappointed that we're not even going to get that. But and honestly, God, like to transition to RFK a little bit, like, I mean, obviously, I don't like RFK. I think he's a bad candidate and shit like that. But like, if people want to like vote for him over Joe Biden, like, I don't even fucking care. Like, you know, it first, literally does not matter. You, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to be somebody that disrupts these parties in a meaningful way or anything like that because he's still attached to them. But like, I don't care. You know, like, just don't support Biden. I don't give a shit. But like. You know, for me, because I I listened to him on like Joe Rogan and everything, and I had a couple friends just like that I thought have been moving a little bit more in a progressive direction, like reach out like, oh, he's got you know got some good things to say, and he does have some surface level I think decent things to say, like a critique of like the deep state at a surface level in the war in Ukraine, right? And obviously, like ending the war in Ukraine would be a net good, but like I really think it just shows what his other positions are as they relate to foreign policy, like specifically like somewhere like Israel show that like from just an understanding, a political and ideological perspective, he has no real ability to, and he doesn't, I mean, nobody does as like really an individual anyway, but he has no real ability to attack the deep state because he doesn't understand like that capitalism is inherent to these things. Right. And he's not going to attack all these other things that are part of like the U S imperial project. Like, I don't think he's going to, be someone that comes along and is suddenly friendly with China. He's not going to stop funding the Iron Dome and the IDF and shit like that. Like, sure, like, I mean, if in some world, which isn't going to happen, he helps stop, you know, nuclear war as a result of Ukraine, I guess, you know, good. But, like, he's. I don't think he's going to be one to stop the next escalation either, you know. And I think it just shows how much you really need an understanding of, like, imperialism in the Leninist sense to really, truly fight what this machine is and he does not have that and like that's not even talking about all his like goofy anti-science shit that like is easily disprovable what i will say is that to somebody that i that doesn't take the time to actually look into it and you know it's hard to actually take the time to look into like medical papers and everything like that like white papers that are written on this shit like the guy does come across as like well put together and intelligent and shit like that even though what he says is a lot of it is pretty quickly and easily disprovable but he's good at speaking and i think he is going to get some kind of support but especially by like the already convinced like anti-vaxxers but he's he's no fundamental challenge to anything in my opinion i just long to see another politician get the kennedy treatment (laughs) hell yeah that'd be really ironic on that point um you guys are aware of how rfk died right that was the skiing Uh, accident no, RFK. Oh, no, 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 RFK. Yeah, Never mind. Yeah. yeah, he was blown His away father. in LA. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the political reason why. There's actually no doubt about why he was murdered. There's not even considered like a conspiracy over it. Uh, uh, so yeah. He wanted to end the war. Uh, no. Right? Sarah Sarah. Is this familiar to anybody? Sirhan Sirhan. Sirhan Sirhan 
assassinated him. Sirhan Sirhan was a Palestinian rights activist who murdered him because of statements made uh, against Palestine, specifically one of these statements, quote, it will be the only stabilizing factor remaining in the near Middle East, talking about the state of Israel. The Arab world is made of many disgruntled factions, which would have been at each other's throats long ago if it were not for the common war against Zionism. I mean, that could be said by RFK Jr. himself. Right. I mean, Lisa I mean, these positions... wrote a great book about how Sirhan Sirhan didn't actually kill RFK. The CIA did it. It's possible. But I think Sirhan Sirhan had as good a reason as anybody to do it because these are imperialist masters. These people don't actually take radical positions. That's part of the reason I don't believe the CIA conspiracies against the Kennedys because they are imperialist people. They don't believe in a new world order. They don't believe in anything except American prestige and empire. So why bother? Why would I lean against? Care? I lean against believing in JFK conspiracy theories. I, I genuinely do. And the only reason that makes me get second guess that is because. Uh, JFK, like, from a little bit I've read, I, I know that he did a lot of shitty things too. I'm not trying to, like, stand for him or anything, but uh, he he had he, uh, started taking on some less imperialist attitudes and wanting to, like, get the U.S. less involved in some of that stuff. E even normalize USS, our, our relations with the Soviet Union. So, uh, Nick and I have had this discussion before. I don't know if it was recorded or not, but if you actually take a lot of what Trump says on the campaign trail or says at his rallies, and assume that's what he actually believes. And then let's say he got assassinated in 2017. He would be polarized as this great anti-imperialist. The fact is, he didn't believe any of those things. He was a politician. The same way that I believe JFK, RFK, all the Kennedys, all the great Democratic politicians don't believe all of these great um, you know, statements they make on world peace and taking on the establishment. They do it for political gain. They do it to convince people that they are different, that they are outsiders. The fact that these two got assassinated just makes it so that they never had to actually execute on anything they said. Well, I mean, it, there's an argument to be like, wasn't JFK not even uh, trying to strip the CIA of power because of any sort of anti-imperialism? It was just because he was like, felt like the president should be the powerful one, not the CIA. Yeah, he was literally having power struggles with them. Yeah. Right. It's pettiness. So like, that's that's what I can see either. It, I can see it going either way. I'm not. I just no longer choose to have a, an opinion on the assassination of jfk i don't care yeah i mean exactly. either way either yeah, way my, yeah i guess like my point either way with all that and with like rfk or anybody that comes along right now like trump is that like one individual president within this structure is not going to change the imperialist mechanism right because it's fundamental to capitalism so it doesn't matter yeah i almost wanted to ask you nick because you said you listened to him on joe rogan and I was about to ask you, like, the lib question of, like, do you think his voice could hold him back? Because I know he's got, like, a weird voice. And, like, was that tolerable to even listen to, like, for any kind of long-form conversation? Invites, like, man. I had to do it in bites. It's, it's, it's weird, right? Awesome. Like, yeah, And I don't want to, like, be ableist about it. But it's, like, if I'm led to be correct from what Chapa was saying, it's, like, he got it of his own doing. Because he was, like, he caught hep C by sharing needles, doing, like, intravenous drugs with some people. It's, like... Again, I guess it's even kind of victim blame me for somebody with like a substance abuse problem. But like, okay, so my only take dude, on like RFK, an elite fucking, he's like an elite fucking American family. Like, I don't like give a shit that's, too much. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, he's like the less cool yeah. um, Hunter Biden, like from a less cool, like well, I mean, like an equally uncool like imperialist family. Yeah. And like, he's just not as like I don't know hardcore, just like really fucking over the image of his family as like Hunter Biden is. And what I resent about RFK. Aside from being like the farce to the tragedy of Bernie, um, is that like he's at least for in this stage of the election cycle, it's like anybody who's paying attention right now, they're just dorks and nerds like us, right? Like you've got to be obsessive if you even know who Cornell West is, um, as opposed to like RFK for all like the white bro dudes, it's like he's like their guy. And right, so yeah. the fact that he's getting like this equal kind of media attention at this point, it's like you got Cornell West, who like at first I had my skepticism about because he had the weird tweet about Reagan and he was with like the Patsock kind of communist party, whatever they were. So I thought he was going to be like the Patsock candidate and that was going to be like a real problematic thing. But then he quickly saw the light. He was like, Oh no, I, I see what you guys are about. And he abandoned those guys. I was like, yeah. Hey, good on, good on you Cornell. And so I shouldn't be surprised. Like obviously this dude is based as fuck. So you got this actually like marginalized dude who's like an intellectual, like a real leftist, like a real dude, like really fucking yeah. based. And like who, who, and, and spoiler alert for both of these candidates, if anybody is not clear about what's going to happen to both of them, they can be as popular as you want. Get out the rallies, go march, do whatever you want. 
not going to happen, you guys. I'm sorry. They're not going to be the nominee. Biden's going to fuck both of them over, and then it's going to be a squeaker for either Biden or Trump, whichever the wildly unpopular fascist candidates get the actual nominations. But, like, the fact that Cornell West and RFK are being put on, like, an equal media playing field in any way for any length of time is, like, insulting to Cornell West, and it's, like, it's just low-key racist. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, what are what are RFK's credentials? I don't know. know. You didn't know? He's a Kennedy? He can bench press over 100 pounds. <laughs> Did oh, you yeah. guys see uh, um, Jamal Bowman's 405 <laughs> times three bench press? Yeah. That was wild. It's pretty legit. I, I did not realize he had that in him. I don't know much <laughs> about Jamal, Jamal Bowman, but that I didn't know any. I didn't really know much about him either, but that video is fucking impressive. Levi, I was, I was like double checking people's math. Tearing them apart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can have bad politics and still put up 400 pounds, bud. Yeah. I mean, wasn't Paul Ryan known as like a, a gym guy? Yeah, what did he do? Like Pilates or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He did listen to Rage Against the Machine while he did it, which is ironic. Um, the thing with RFK though is he's 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 not anti-establishment for one right. thing. He has a couple of talking points that have no substance. He sounds like a fucking weirdo. Um. And going on places like Joe Rogan to get your message out can only, like, that's 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 an appeal to a certain audience. And he's also going on like Jordan Peterson as well. So like, right, the people exactly, he's attracting, right. Yeah. The other thing about him is it was already stated that he's an Israel guy, which any mainstream politician these days is has to be an Israel guy. Um, he's also really popular with the Epoch Times, which is a Falun Gong CIA rag so if you think he's gonna be any better on china than anybody in the exactly in the mainstream right now you're wrong he claiming to be against the war in ukraine is fine but that's a mainstream republican position right now Mm -hmm. so and and to make matters worse i've already seen the pro-trump crowd proposing a trump kennedy unity ticket now, Oops. if you want a recipe, if you want a recipe for an actual Hitler-style fascist takeover of the U.S. government, it's a Trump-Kennedy ticket. Uh, that's just my two cents on that. I think I think anybody who thinks Kennedy is going to be any kind of viable candidate on his own is a fool. And I think the worst thing that could happen to this country is a Trump-Kennedy unity ticket. Yeah, I mean, I think. First time I heard that, Evan from Left of the Projector said it, and I was like, you know what? That, as scary as it is, it makes a lot of sense because he is attracting a lot of those same guys that like glommed on to like the Trump 2016. I mean, Roger Stone himself you know? made a comment about how he liked the idea. So, yeah. I mean, make of that what you will. <laughs> yeah. No, and I mean, just to go back to like Cornell West and like, Outside of, I guess, teaming up with Trump, Kennedy has no real shot, like, on the Democratic Party ticket, right? Like, below Joe Biden, because they'll stop everybody. But, like, and Cornell West obviously has no shot either, right? But, and we've talked about this, Levi, any energy that I put into electoralism will, one, be determined by, like, what happens on the PSL side of things. But then again, like, if somebody comes to me with, like, Cornell West, interest in him... I mean, he's not like a, I don't think he's a Marxist explicitly. He's certainly not like an ML. He's, he's anti-Marxist. Got, right. So oh, obviously, really, I didn't know that part. Damn. Yeah, he, is anti, like, he is anti-communist explicitly. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was like a closet Marxist. My bad. I, I, I was actually under the same, same impression. Yeah, I, I think he is anti-communist with the, you know, the communist party. But I, I do believe he has Marxist tendencies and has argued Marxism in the same way that Somebody like Bernie Sanders has made Marxist arguments, but would probably also call himself anti-communist. Yeah, I'm going to still reserve hope he's like a closet tank and he just knows better than to say it out loud. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't like do much good, I think, in this current moment to just go on like a tear against Cornell West, honestly. You know what I mean? Like, at least, you know, we can do it in like our tanky discords and shit like that. But like if some working class person comes up with you, like with some comes up to you with some interest in Cornell West ideas, I think it's probably good to actually help kind of build upon that and like a yeah, they're on the right track constru- right like in a constructive way rather than be like oh he had this stupid and it was a dumb fucking tweet about like reagan and like or whatever it was you know what i mean it was really fucking dumb 
But like, again, like in the sphere where people are engaging with politics through the electoral, you know, through the presidential election, which is where the vast majority of Americans still that are engaged in politics still engage with it. Like, again, if you want to help, we need to popularize ideas, right? And keep pulling people left. Like, I think that's where his useful usefulness to us is, right? That's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's as, a, as a starting too, yeah. point for the average American, I mean, you could do a lot worse than somebody yeah. expressing interest in Cornell West. Right. I think, yeah, he'll bring a lot of ideas to the table and like, no, he's not going to advocate a lot of our positions, but uh, maybe he's come out hard like anti-Marxist or something, but I feel like I've seen him take a lot of Marxist positions over the years because Cornell West has been on my radar for fucking years i mean he talks about class and shit you know what i mean he has a understanding of class dynamics i mean he might Dude, be i would but there's there's not a, a snowball's chance in hell that he's going to gain any <laughs> real traction in the election but i am going to be fascinated to hear what the dialogue looks like when he starts like making legit claims and criticisms of like race relations in america I mean, the yeah, best to... case scenario for Cornel West's presence in any kind of political race is that he has something like the Bernie effect of putting more of those left-leaning ideas out there, mainstreaming a lot more of like the class-conscious, race-conscious, um, academic-type uh, information, and you know, pushing that conversation, pushing that Overton window a little further left than it is right now. I think that's the best case scenario for a candidate like Cornel West. To build on something that I think Mike was alluding to earlier, the fact that Cornell West is running is a good thing. And he's not a politician. That's why his positions have changed over time. That's why he's escaping the sort of Pat Sock relationships. And as an intellectual in the form of, you know, he looks to people like Du Bois for how to take and consider the world. And if you look at Du Bois at the beginning of his life, he was not a communist radical that he was at the end of his life. I mean, he called the, the uh, African-Americans moving from south to north um, barbaric hordes. And that was not something he would ever have positioned later in his life. These individuals have skeletons in their closet, but they actually acknowledge the skeletons in their closet compared to somebody like Joe Biden that just utterly denies it and has been scarily consistent in his views because he's been in politics so long. Yeah, if you've been in politics 50 years and your views have not changed, then you you have failed completely. <laughs> or you fucking won. I was going to say, yeah, on the contrary, president, he's right? president now. Yeah. He's done exactly what he set out to do. Well, you failed at thinking good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do choose to believe, like, you brought up uh, Du Bois again, which is cool. Like, there's a lot of figures like that. People who are not out and, out and outspoken communists, like not ardently Marxists or whatever, but they will still adopt a lot of the same positions. And it's because they arrive there naturally. And I see that happen a lot. And it's really heartening it's like the opposite of disheartening like it really gives me hope in humanity because i feel like there are a lot of people out there who are like i don't have a fleshed out point with this i just know that there are people like who are doing what we're doing who just like say the tanky thing out loud because it's like i don't know like hopefully this shit goes viral like i, I that's what i always try to do is just like say the hot take because yeah i would like some some right wingers to get angry and then like share my content with their other people and get them angry too it's like i feel like more people will hear this message and I said this to you at a different recording, Nick, but like, I really feel like we are ahead of the game. Like people will adopt Marxism. The more these conditions get dire for everyone in their daily lives, like they will start hearing the Bernie message and the, the Cornell West message, and they will go further. And I think a lot of people who are public figures are smart enough to not say the quiet parts out loud like we do, because they actually have something at stake. Like they're trying to run for public office. They're not just like doing some kind of discord shit in their spare time from their day job. So yeah, yeah I, I think there are a lot more closet tankies out there than than we might realize. Yeah, I hope so too. I, I wouldn't and, say closet tankies, but I would agree, agree with closet Marxists. Yeah. yeah. Tankies can't they shut don't the fuck up. Yet. We know this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think that just like, you know, and again, not to overemphasize like the importance of like, or just overstate like the importance of what we're all trying to do, but we are all trying to do like a little bit of political education and stuff like that. But I think that is why it is important for everybody just to try to do a little bit of agitation and education in like their own small circles in life and everything like that. Right. Because in the absence of the, you know, the somewhat principled or the principled Marxist or communist or party in a community kind of like speaking to certain issues, right? Like material conditions don't necessarily lead people to communism, right? It could also lead to fascism if that's the voice coming in and saying, Hey, like, this is how we rectify the situation. And there's no, 
antagonistic in the positive sense forced to counter that out right so that's why it's important to continue like i mean when we say educate agitate organize that's just not like some kind of trite meaningless do nothing statement we actually fucking mean that because absent that bad shit really happens yeah yeah i would say nick that's actually still a material condition like if people arrive at fascism because their daily life is getting worse and they're getting squeezed economically and they feel like they're also getting squeezed culturally yeah i mean if they're well, white, something... sure, they're going to arrive at fascism, even if they're like some kind of uh, person of color, but they feel like the fascists are going to accept them because they're, quote, one of the good ones. They may arrive at fascism, but that's still a material condition of like living in the inherently like far right country that we live in. Um, what were you going to say before I transition yeah, to the next topic? Yeah, no, sorry. Just real quick on that, just because and I think this is where some this is where the libs can accuse us of like some horseshoe theory stuff. Right. It's like because. The, the far right and the far left are arriving at the position that there's something wrong here, you know? And like when you're calling out that there's something wrong here before you go any deeper, it seems like you're kind of saying the same thing for a second, right? Like we've talked about this, like with like an Alex Jones, like saying, you know, like, or Kennedy as an example, right? Like there is a fucking issue with big pharma, right? There is. And there's a justifiable critique of big pharma, but what do we do with that? And where do we go? And that's where the paths diverge. But like, you know, the I liberal, can you where the liberal go, can sit there. Edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like the liberal can sit there and say, it's like, oh, look, see, they're on the same side with this just because they've just, you know, started and only gone to the position that, oh, like we have a critique of, you know, this, these huge pharmaceutical corporations who are profiting off of fucking COVID. Yeah. I mean, well, I want to compare, compare this uh, presidential run to something like Pete Buttigieg. I mean, what is what is the liberal position offering? Why wouldn't people be frustrated and go for the larger extremes? They're at least offering that way they know something is wrong. Right. Um, go, Brian? Nick, you mentioned PSL. Do you know if they're going to be running a candidate? I don't know yet. Okay. So I want to talk about um, the UPS strike or hopefully the UPS strike that will be coming up soon. Um, we got about 15 minutes left so we can talk about that. But I did want to say, like, the last thing I wanted to say about um, People arriving at Marxism, whether they realize it or not, it basically comes down to like people being cringe versus being cool. It's like you could have, and I think this will come up when we talk about the UPS workforce being confronted with these squeezing conditions from their managers and you know the owners of the company. It's like you could be, imagine like a group of people, they're all being squeezed, and you got the white dudes who are now just blaming women, blaming minorities, blaming gay people, blaming whoever they don't like. They're being fucking cringe. Like, they're just being really cringe. And then if you were to talk to, like, the actual marginalized people in those same groups, like the gay people, the people of color, like the women, they would start talking to each other and they would just be loving. They'd be caring with each other. Be like, wow, this is all really sucks that we're going through this. We should help each other out and, like, form community. Like, they're being cool. And they would start talking about Marxist shit, whether they realize it or not. They would not use the terms. Like, even, like, it's, it's funny. I think about it, like, here's a bunch of white dudes. And we will talk about Marxism, but use it in the most cringe terms. Like, we got to talk about it like it's book stuff. And we got to, like, read about it, talk about theory, because we're a bunch of doors. It's like, whereas people on the ground who are actually going through the, through the conditions just arrive there naturally. And that's that's just how it has to work. But that's what I wanted to talk about with the UPS thing. It's like, I'm sure that there are people who are getting all of the wrong conclusions out of this thing. Because I did hear someone else saying on a podcast that, like, they were like the right wingers, like the chuds of the UPS Teamsters are saying that the getting air, air conditioning in the trucks was a loss because they're going to do something worse to you. Like it's like, oh, they're actually going to take more out of our paychecks and they're going to uh, like they made it like the, they were spinning it as if they should not have fought for air conditioning because they were going to lose something else. And it was like corruption in the union. But I want to ask you, Bill, because like you work there. Um, can you give us any kind of feeling as to like what's going on? Anything you could tell us about it? Yeah, so I've um, worked at UPS for about three years at this point, um, and have been a teamster just as long. Um, I work at one of the hubs as a uh, as a preloader, so I go in at like two, three in the morning to put the boxes in the trucks. Um, I'm one of the part timers that the team that the union has been talking about a lot lately. Um, and the topic of the strike, the conditions we work under all that stuff, it's become a lot more salient of a talking point, um, obviously, in the last month or so. The difference in how guys are talking about it now versus, like, in May is night and day. Um, the union's been 
preparing and ramping up this contract negotiation for over a year at this point. Um, but yeah, the 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 stuff about um, the stuff about air conditioning that you said. I don't know who is arguing those points because no driver that I know would be against having air conditioning in his truck. These guys know what it's like to go out in the 100 degree heat. The trucks I've gone out as a as a ride along essentially during um, during peak season. The even even in cold or cool weather, the backs of those trucks become sweltering hot and stifling. Um, I mean, air conditioning is it's an unequivocal win for as far as like conditions, working conditions go. The people um, who argue those sorts of points are the people who are wholly unaware of the conditions that actually exist. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I heard it mentioned, like I said, on a different podcast. It was from someone else who was involved in like the UPS thing, and they just said that there is an unbelievable stretch that these people will make to take anything as a loss because they're just like even being in the union will be anti-union because they're just like so they're like the the cucks. The <laughs> Teamsters, the Teamsters is not a radical militant leftist organization yet at all. <clears throat> Yet, yet, yeah, no, correct, you're right, yet, it could be, and the current leadership is more left-leaning and more militant than the Teamsters have been in decades. Um, Sean O'Brien, the head of the Teamsters for a Democratic Union slate and the current president of the Teamsters Union, has been, in my opinion, an, uh, an unvarnished good. Like, he's he's been out there, he's been vocal. Um, he's threatened about, to fight politicians. He's threatened to fight politicians. <laughs> yeah, no, he's great. He takes his position very seriously, and he's made it very clear that he's not willing to sacrifice parts of the UPS Teamsters workforce to secure the position of, you know, the older, longer-term workers. And that's actually um, why there's a sticking point, I think, right now with the contract negotiations recently negotiations broke off um and the messaging has largely been since the contract negotiations were suspended has largely been about part-timers and i think that's a big signal that ups was trying to basically sacrifice the well-being and the improvement of the conditions for part-timers to satisfy the drivers because um, I don't know if this is known by everybody, but basically in UPS, you become a driver by putting in your time as a part-time loader first. Um, and so anybody who works in the warehouse loading the trucks has been there like by virtue of how the system works. They've been there for less time than anybody driving a truck. Mm. Um, and one of the big wins we just got before contract negotiations broke off was that they were going to eliminate this position called a 224 driver, which is basically somebody who does the exact same package car driving and delivery as your your normal UPS package car delivery driver, but they're on a lower wage scale and they're subject to being sent back to the warehouse when peak season is over and returned to their low wage, their their loader wage. And that position was totally eliminated. UPS conceded that, which is a massive win um, because everybody hated that two two four position. Um, and no, it's actually so, huge because I was going to say Nick, or not Nick, Bill. Sorry, that uh, it almost doesn't matter if you have unions, if you have even organized labor, if you have any kind of like system of law. Even if these companies can just literally invent a classification to change what the labor is worth like there was nothing different exactly. about that like you said they're doing the exact same work they just get paid less because they're classified differently it's like whatever you fought for to get all those gains like is just totally wiped away with the stroke of a pen but the fact that they were even willing to concede that is absolutely huge i just wanted to point that out no yeah and that was that was one of the biggest uh biggest concessions we got in my opinion because that 224 position the pay scale was like it was like i think it topped out at like 65% of what the normal the the like the driver position did. Like it was a lot less. So yeah, it was a big win. Um the air conditioning thing, I really think I the reason I think people were saying that the air conditioning thing was kind of a 
hollow victory is because I think that was something they just kind of had to give us, and they were sticking on it to make it seem like, to make us fight for it, basically. Um, but we didn't give anything up for it. Uh, a lot of, very little, we've given up very little in these negotiations so far. Um, one thing I really hope we get rid of is the um, personal vehicle delivery drivers, but... Oof, I didn't know they I don't, did that. Oh yeah, yeah. During peak season, they have they're ba- I mean, they're basically scabs that they hire during peak season to come and drive their own cars to deliver packages. They're not teamsters. Um, they get paid some low wage. What's up? Yeah, just on the, uh, a question of clarification on the two two four position. Uh, Mike made it as a stroke of a pen, but wasn't that the agreement from the last strike that this position would be allowed to be created, or the last agreement made by the former head of the union? Well, yeah, it was it was in the previous contract. Uh, it was, so, I mean, it's in the contract that we're on right now that expires at the end of July. And that's just a point to, that Sean O'Brien is actually arguing in good faith and trying to work for the workers as opposed to the previous contract. Exactly. Yeah. Be, yeah. Because that position, that uh, that that two two four position, was negotiated into the contract basically to secure the approval of the old, the long term older drivers. Uh, at the expense of newer employees. Um, and it's kind of the same thing they're trying to do with the part-timers now. Um, right now, so part-timers start at like fifteen fifty an hour, I think. And the raises are, you know, the, the raises exist. They're not very good. Uh, last I heard the argument that, uh, last I heard Teamsters wanted $20 an hour for the part-timers. And, UPS wanted to do 19 for a year and then go to 20 the following year. But I don't know what changed there um, or if if anything. Yeah. That, uh, that's not asking the world, man. It's not. And I mean the 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 work is the work is backbreaking, man. Like it's it's 5 to 7 hours every day of of grueling labor. I mean, each of us on the load lines probably moves like between four and 7,000 pounds worth of goods off the belt and into the trucks um, every day. Um, five, probably 700 to 1,000 individual pieces of mail um, of varying weights. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's tough. There's, there's not really air conditioning in the buildings. Um, and even though we go in at three in the morning, it's still hot and stuffy inside the warehouse. Even, I mean, in the, and in the winter it's fucking cold, you know, cause we're basically in a big aluminum box working in bay doors and that wind is like icy jets just blasting you all the time. Um, yeah, we started the episode, Bill, I was saying like, you had a lot to complain about and you weren't <laughs> surprisingly. And that's not even to mention like the level of control that they exert over your personal life, which we're just not going to get into, but it's, it's annoying to say the least, but would, would you have Brandon? Oh, I just, uh, so I, you know, I just made the statement that $20 an hour is not asking for the world. And then you said, you know, something about five to seven hour days as a part timer. Like what sort of hours do you guys work? Because um, when, so when it, think changes, about, it changes, it changes throughout an hour the year. doesn't seem crazy. Even, for full time, and when it's part time, like you're, you yeah, gotta make all that much more to survive. Um, during peak season, which generally lasts from about the end of October through the end of January, we work pretty much full time. Um, between like between like seven and eight and a half hours a day. Now for the rest of the year, so like, you know nine months out of the year or so we work on average about five hours a day um that's usually with the option to do an optional sixth day um we do get paid overtime after five hours which the managers are committed to never allowing to happen um i mean that's like their main role is to get us out of there before they have to pay us too much overtime uh yeah, so, you know, we if you don't have a second job, you work 20, 25 hours a week, 30 hours a week at most. Um and that's not you can't you can't survive on that, you know? 
and and it's uh I know there's lots of people out there with multiple jobs and there's a lot of people that I know at work that have multiple jobs, two or three jobs. Uh it sucks. It's hard. It's uh you know. And I would like to the, uh sorry, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I wanna start wrapping it up because we're about out of time, but literally the only take that I have on the UPS strike is I hope for the most militant version of it that could possibly happen. Because as you say, like UPS drivers are not the only people struggling. They're not the only people with multiple jobs by necessity. And the only thing that will make that better is labor power and UPS or any other company. And I hope that UPS provides that example of a strike that really cuts this company to its knees and forces them to make every concession possible. That's obviously wildly optimistic, but we can still hope. Uh, what would you have, Nick? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> one of the very few things that I'm, you know, just unequivocally optimistic about right now at this moment is the labor movement in the U.S. And it's like, again, the left militancy that's kind of arising in like the leadership, like with Sean O'Brien, folks like you, Bill. Um, I was down in D.C. Um, for a march in support of Cuba to take um, Cuba off the list. And uh, what's his name? Chris Smalls was there. And he basically said, you know, in a microphone out to Joe Biden, like, don't invite me back to the White House until you take Cuba off the list. And he was calling out the AFL-CIO for not being there in support. So I thought that was really good. So to see some of this leadership arising that is taking more leftist militant stances, I think is really good. And then just even on like the local level, like, you know, I was talking to there was there's a, a library workers union that organized here. Um, and I interviewed them on like the we have a local podcast for the PSL here, just Pittsburgh Liberation Radio. And we've been interviewing like just a lot of like local union organizers, right? And like, the library workers were talking about how they've got all these networks that are being set up with a lot of the coffee workers like Starbucks, other local coffee shops that have formed unions, right? And like they're coordinating like, you know, when they're on strike, come support each other and shit like that, like, you know, like sharing tactics and everything. And it's just like the, like to the point of like people arising at like the right thing to do in terms of like their situation. Like I think we're really seeing that in like this resurgent labor movement right now. And it just you know, that's all fantastic. And it just, I think, continues to show the need that like to keep pushing beyond that to really make this a political struggle, struggle, the need to actually like organize in bodies to try to push it because it's all great to get, you know, power within your economic situation at your job and everything like that, but to continue to push that into the political realm. And I think we've got the makings of something really great, you know, just seeing it at the grassroots level, seeing it at the national level as well. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with the Teamsters strike. Um, labor has a lot of power right now in the world, a lot more than it's had in a long time. And I think we're in a situation where corporate power is recognizing that it either is going to have to give a lot away or fight back much harder than it has, you know, pushed back a lot harder. So I don't know what's going to happen with the Teamsters strike. Um, I also hope it happens... Uh, I I don't think that anybody necessarily most people necessarily want it to, um, but I do. I think it's good if the Teamsters strike. It would be the biggest labor strike against a single company in American history. Um, the Teamsters are a union that most companies know not to fuck with. Um, they're extremely well organized. They're uh, all about solidarity. Um, the cargo airplane pilots uh, side of the Teamsters have already agreed to strike in uh, solidarity with UPS. Oh, yeah. Um, and I know that the Teamsters at my shop and the rank and file guys are ready to do it, um, whether it comes down to it or not. Um, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to do what we can. Dude, yeah, I, I, my union works hand-in-hand uh, hand with the Teamsters and... I, I love it. Those those guys just do not fuck around. They will not lift one one fucking finger to like help out like any any more than they're supposed to. Like I'm I'm trying to I don't know the best way to phrase it because they won't let anybody like they won't leave anybody Delicious high. Delicious compliance. Yeah, like they would they would not fucking piss on a manager to put him like if he was on fire, you know. But you know, we'll do anything they they can to help everybody out. Like when we were about to go on strike, like. 
I know that they were going to, well, I mean, like they sort of didn't have a choice but to strike with us, but like there was no like ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was just like, yeah, they're, they're going to go on strike. Yeah, to bring this all back to what we were talking about at the beginning, and to remember that people are scared of the unions. The right people are scared. The people that are our friends are happy. To think about the Supreme Court in an eight to one decision said that the Teamsters were liable for damages to the company. I mean, that was the Teamsters that were capable now of being sued for damages during a strike. And you know what? I, I hope they get sued for the damages to this strike. And I hope the public is on their side and really sees what the courts look like when it's an eight to one decision that these that these courts, these institutions are not on the side of the worker, not on the side of the average person. Yeah, and it would be terrible if like those concrete if the concrete companies like address got out and people were to like find out that if you mix sugar into concrete then it won't set right and it fucks <laughs> up the whole batch and fucks the company up. Crazy, um, right? Yeah. Science. Yeah, a little industrial sabotage goes a long way. That's all I'm saying. <sighs> well, I'm gonna wrap it up, you guys. Uh this is a good one. It's fun. I think the only thing I'll say just to uh as my last take on the UPS thing is just be prepared for being accused of being like a child murderer because the UPS drivers are not willing to deliver medications that the kids need so desperately. Um, and the only rebuttal you can really have is like, well, maybe the execs should have been a little less greedy and those kids would get their medications on time and the, and the drivers would get paid for their time as well, like for what they're worth. So that just, uh, just made me realize that I'm going to have to see a UPS going on strike is ableist. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Every awful take is going to happen. All right. Thank I'm you guys for coming in soon. <laughs> Later, everybody. See ya. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Adios. Bye, Sonos.